The series is split 1-1 here in the NBA Finals on June 7th, 2022 for the 2021-2022 NBA season as we come down to the final games of the season. We now have games one and two in the books. Game three is tomorrow in Boston. Game four and game five coming up here over the next couple of days. And by the time we do our next show, all five games will be in the books. Who has an idea as to what the series will look like by then? We have no idea. But both of these games in the NBA Finals, both NBA Finals Game 1 and Game 2 were very vastly differently played games and from different perspectives. And I mentioned that this series, I picked Boston to go 6, and Game 1 does not make me feel more confident in the fact that they will or won't win the series. I've already said and I've always said that Game 1 is kind of the appetizer of what the series may look like. And I think what we saw in Game 1, first of all, the first three quarters of that basketball game, from all ends, all angles, every single perspective of the way that game was played, both teams were playing their best effort, best detail, best everything. And you saw that the Warriors were the better team. That doesn't mean Boston can't win this series, because clearly what happened in the fourth quarter was Golden State came out in the fourth, played absolutely haphazardly in the first three minutes, and then in the last six minutes of the entire game, there was a cap on the basket, and the Celtics finished the game on what, like a 20-4 to run or something like that? They absolutely destroyed Golden State in the fourth quarter, and it wasn't because Golden State got cold. Golden State did not start the quarter well, and then they couldn't hit a shot the last half of the quarter. That was the reason why they lost. They didn't choke. They didn't play bad. They played fine. They just had a bad, they just had a bad half of a quarter. And that'll happen in the NBA Finals. You'll lose games like that. But that doesn't indicate how the series is going to play one way or the other. You're insane if you think that. The first three quarters of game one, the first 39, excuse me, the first uh, 36 minutes of that ball game is everything that epitomizes NBA basketball. And as we sit here on episode 38, season 8 of the Hooper's Log, I can sit here and tell you right now, those first three quarters of basketball were the best basketball I've seen in a long time. And I am not being prisoner of the moment. From a purist, from a detail, from an everything perspective, intensity, defensive prowess, refereeing, everything, that was basketball. If you didn't like the first three minutes of that game one of the NBA Finals, or excuse me, first three quarters of the NBA Finals, game one, 2022, I, I, you don't like basketball. That's, that's how it comes down to for me. Everything. Both teams. Phenomenal. All of it. Incredible. That's how hoops supposed to be played. Obviously, Boston wins game one. They go into game two. And then you started seeing antics, you started seeing adjustments, you started seeing what I would call a lot, a lot, and both sides, both teams, really, really bad shot selections. I mean, there were a ton of rushed shots in this game. There were a ton of opportunities that were left on the table because guys were either impatient, guys didn't get a good shot, guys didn't get a good opportunity or a good look at the basket, shot too early into the into the shot clock. There were a lot of problems there in game two for both sides, and quite frankly, 
Jalen Brown started the game hot. Jason Tatum started the game cold. Both guys took some really, really questionable, awkward, interesting, different, off haphazard shots in this, in game two. And I was starting to wonder what's going on. The decision-making by Boston at points coming into the paint with their big guys, defensively they were fine. But offensively there were a lot of question marks that came afoot regarding what their scheme, what their package, what their level of depth and adjustments were coming into this game too. That doesn't mean I don't think they can't win any other games in the series or that they're screwed or that all this other stuff. They're going back home. They're tied 1-1. They've got really kind of everything in their favor right now going back home. I think maybe what had happened in this game was a lot of guys turned off that next step of the extra pass or the extra play because they know that they've got this game in the bag so they don't have to dip into their uh, next level thought process thinking while they're on the court because when I see Jalen Brown getting the ball up at the top of the key with everybody running down court and he's taking a shot with 20 seconds left in the shot clock and they've got a chance to slow the game down, churn the clock, do what they want and set their own uh, wrote, set their own momentum, set their own pace. They just said, no, we're just going to stop. Jason Tatum holds the ball for 10 seconds, dribble, dribble, does a little step back three with everybody moving and doing something on the, in, in, in the field of what they're doing and, and there's a bad shot. Jalen Brown did that about four or five times. You know, Clay Thompson had probably three or four bad shots for the Warriors tonight. Steph Curry had probably another two or three bad shots tonight. You look at the uh, the big man down low, Draymond Green had some open shots, but a lot of them were not shots that he normally takes because that's not how their offense rotates and how their offense changes, right? So when you look at how the game was played comparatively to game one, there were a lot of details, a lot of lack of depth regarding guys and their rotations and their set shots and um, you know depth with the shot clock depth with the uh, next level pass there was a lot of what I would call reverting back to the median of the norm of what the NBA is now there was a lot of three-point shots there were a lot of ISO plays there were a lot of uh, you know random uh, sloppy play it wasn't bad play it wasn't bad basketball effort was there clearly intensity was there You saw Draymond's antics. First of all, Draymond probably should have been ejected for what he did against Jalen Brown. Wasn't that big of a deal overall. But considering he had gotten a technical before, like they were saying in the broadcast, should have been a double tech. That changes the whole outcome of the game, potentially the whole outcome of the series. And they're talking about, well, you know, we got to make we got to make recommendations for certain guys because it changes the outcomes of certain. No, 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 no. End of the day, dude makes a dumb decision on the court, decides to start throwing hands and create something, and he doesn't get thrown out of the game, well, what are you doing here? You're, you're, enabling, the, you're enabling the beast, and that's what they did. Fortunately, Draymond kind of toned it down a little bit after that, but it, it's one of those things where it's like he was asking for it all game long to get teed up multiple times, and he's been doing this the entire playoffs. He's frankly been doing this the last however many years. And they keep enabling, and they keep enabling, and they keep it, and it gets to a point where it's like, dude, you're not that special. You're an amazing player. You're probably going to the Hall of Fame. You're one of the best defenders of your era, but you're really not that special. Like at the end of the day, you're not so special to the point where your mouth, which creates all of these problems for that, what create for him, ultimately don't overtake and override what your talent is on the court. And when you do that, and when you create that, and when you have that 
option and that ability to slow it down and stop the process and make it better for yourself, you don't do it. You just constantly make it worse. You constantly, you constantly just throw crap out there to see if it'll work, to see if it'll happen. And when it finally does click and the referees say, no, you've crossed the line, well, by then, you've extended the line, you've pushed the line, you've, you've, you've made the line what it is, that now we start talking about Draymond Green and we say, wow, he gets the benefit of the doubt for everything. Why is that? Well, because he's constantly pr- pushing the limit, pushing that line, pushing that availability for where they are. And it's just, it's frustrating because it's gamesmanship, but at the same time, you know that Draymond's getting the benefit of the doubt. So how can you, as a player, when you know that even if you're calm, cool, and collected, and you do what you're supposed to do, don't get nothing? That's what they were talking about on the broadcast, and, and, and they nailed it to a degree. I mean, they, I saw both sides that they were talking about. You know, if you don't let the game play out the way it's supposed to play out, and you make certain guys uh, an example when other guys are constantly getting the benefit of the doubt, how do you referee that? How do you, how do you look at the one end scale and the other end scale, and how do you decipher... That those were all fair points points that they made up in the broadcast that they talked about, and I totally understood where they were coming from on both sides of the of the, of the spectrum. But when I when you when you just get down to the nitty gritty of the circumstance, Draymond Green talks way too much. He gets away with way too much, and it gets to the point where it's like he needs to. There needs to be a consequence for his actions to the point where it costs his team a game. And it needs to be seen, obviously. We've seen Draymond play where he's not this overly hyped and over-aggressive with certain things. And let's say he's not playing at an amazing level and he's not an unbelievable basketball player. But when it comes to those actions alone, we've seen him tamper it down and still play at an incredible clip. He doesn't need to go out there and over-hype with his mouth. Just play your game. Like, stop the garbage. Don't sit there and, and 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 one way or another with the with the mentality or the macho stuff. Just go play the game and do it the right way and play it to the degree in which you are and shut up. That's what it comes back to. Oh, but you know I play this way because you know it gives me this. Draymond, I've seen you play without playing like this before. I've seen you on so many occasions. And I've seen you this entire playoffs play this random way of where you just decide to push the refs beyond the limits of what you want to do and you never get the call. At some point, it will cost your team a game. It did in the 2016 NBA Finals. We can bring that up for the rest of your career. 2016 NBA Finals, if you didn't kick LeBron James or punch LeBron James in the nuts, in Game 5, when you were up 3-1, excuse me, was it 3-1? Didn't they win that game? And then they went home. It was game five. Right? It was either game four or game five in the 2016 NBA Finals. And it gets ejected. They miss a game. Cavs win the next. I think it was game five. And then game or, uh, game four. And then game five, he was he was uh, kicked out. He was ejected. He couldn't play that game. And then game six, he came back. And game seven, they obviously lost. And we know the history. But that's the kind of stuff that needs to keep being consequented for if you keep doing it. And when you have your shoes on top of Jalen Brown's head, and then he pushes you away and you look at him and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant to do. No, you don't. Last time I checked, if my shoes were on another grown man's head after I had pretty obviously hacked and fouled him, and with the way I'd been playing already for the entire game by just destroying and going through people and randomly yelling at the refs because I don't think that's a foul, when in reality it should be, you know, it would be technically, like when he blew through uh, 
God, I don't know his name, Williams, the random guy on the Celtics, number 12, when he just ran through the dude and destroyed him. And then he's like, no, that's that's that that shouldn't be a foul on you. What are you talking about? No, because in real life, if you were actually out in the middle of the street and you did that to somebody, you'd go to jail for, for assault. But then they call a foul on him. So Draymond is getting all of these benefits of the doubts and thinking that he should still be getting more. At some point, the enabler needs to get the consequence and needs to be told, sit down and shut up. Like, frankly, that's just what needs to happen. Like, he got told once today, you don't just have your feet on another grown-ass man's head and you sit there and you sit there and say, oh my God, well, wow, why are you acting so uh, belligerently and so frustrated? I don't know, because if you're out in the street and someone's got their shoes on your head after you've been tackled, you're not going to just get up and be like, oh yeah, no, it's fine, man. No, we're good. We're good. We're cool, man. You're cool. No, you're trying to win an NBA championship here. And for that to be the circumstance, for that to not get a technical, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. At the end of the day, game two was a hodgepodge of bad shots, bad shot selections, both teams. And frankly, frankly, if you want to call it a pace and a style and a uh, and an aura in which a team will thrive to do so, even if the effort is there on both sides defensively, etc., Golden State will win those kind of games. Why? Because we've seen them win championships with a guy in the name of Steph Curry who has shot poor quality shots in his entire career and has done what he's done and has won championships. He's done it. Why do you think he has three championships? Why do you think he's been to five NBA Finals? Because for about two or three of those NBA Finals, Steph Curry was not the guy who eventually evolved and changed and got better into what he is now. He's a guy who would be shooting shots from 36 feet out with two defenders on him and not make the extra play in the basketball realm that should be made from a historical perspective. He never does that. Or not never. He's done a lot better now over the last five to six years. But in those first couple of years, they went to the finals. I tell you what, Curry was not that kind of guy. Curry was the guy, step back from 36, launch it with two dudes in his face, and, and he would do the shimmy and say, wow, look at me, I'm a big deal because I'm making these shots on, a, on an NBA level because if I was doing this in the pro-am, people would laugh at me and say, you'll never make it to the league because that's exactly what you'll be doing if you do those type of things. But since he's gone to NBA finals and he's been productive and he's done this his entire career, if another team like the Boston Celtics or anybody else tries to get into a poor shooting match, a poor shot, selection match, they're going to lose against Steph Curry, because Steph Curry has made a profession and a Hall of Fame career on doing such things. Clay Thompson has found ways to also make bad shots. There were a couple of shots tonight where Clay made some horrible shot selections, and I sat there and was like, wow, Clay is making terrible decisions with the basketball. Draymond is making terrible decisions. Everybody on the court tonight in this second game made some terrible shots with the ba- shot selections with the basketball. It was, it was odd, especially after watching what transpired in game one and the first three quarters, where it was absolutely miraculous. The extra pass, the extra play, the extra thought, the defensive switches, the defensive changes, the adjustments, the everything. It was beautiful. The depth, the detail. Then you go into this one, and it was starting off that way. But then everything kind of reverted back to the way the NBA's been. And for a vast majority of the reason why it's been very hard to watch the league. Not because this game was hard to watch. Game two was not hard to watch. Game two was not a hard game to watch, but all of the little minor details, if you've been watching this league all year long and for the last eight years, like I have, you watch this game and you're like, here we go. 
it's all starting to revert back to the way the league currently is played. Really, really hodgepodgey, really, really ISO, really, really three-point centric, and really not much depth and not much detail. Maybe because, again, the tentativeness of the guys, because you're, you're a human, right? You're a human. And passing lanes close up, uh, defensive adjustments were made, and obviously, you know, if you can't get your sets put together in a quick enough fashion to the degree in which you want to run them, clearly it's all going to look like isolation plays. And it's all going to look like the lack of effort in the pass. But there were points in times tonight where you saw guys wide open. Clay Thompson got the ball at one point in this game where he was on a dead sprint to the hoop with the basketball from the, from the left elbow going to the rim. And there was nobody, nobody in the mid-range. And he passed the defender as he dribbled the ball twice to then go in and either, I think it was either attempt to lay up or pass the ball. And I sat there and I said, all he's got to do is put his head up. He gets to that spot, takes one dribble on a dead sprint, and then decides to maybe settle and dribble or settle and take an easy jumper in the mid-range. And there's nobody there. Because nobody's either looking at him or no one's making the adjustment to get out to that spot because they know that they need to protect down low and outside. It's those little details that the game overall in game two that you noticed and that you saw and you said, my God, this is where the game goes back to the way it's been the last year, year and a half, however many years it's evolved to the way it is. Because all Clay had to do was step, stop, pop for a, for a nice little 12, 13 footer. And he's going to make it because he's Clay Thompson. But instead, he drove to the hoop, wanted to get another guy involved or shoot a potentially you know, closer shot when he had no chance because there was three dudes in the paint. Or you know, when they were playing a zone, there was three dudes, three dudes there pretty much who could have been there. Again, that's not to say that Golden State is trash or Boston is trash. It's more of the intricate intricacies, the 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 layers through the the layers through the 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 the, the process of what you see, of when you've seen it so much, of when you've been around it so much, of when you've seen it, of when you talked about it, and when you, all the everything, all the months, the years, the hours of watching this game, it all comes right back to what it ultimately is, and you saw a lot of that in game two. Game one was a mirage, apparently. Not for Boston, not for Golden State, for the game. But currently, as we sit, it is a tied 1-1 series going back to Boston. And I've said it before. I said it about a month ago, early May. Adjustment season. This is where, because game one we know is the appetizer, right? Game two was the game where the sport kind of reverted back to what the NBA has been this past year and what it's turning into, along with a little bit of sloppy play, a little bit of bad shot selection, a little bit of lack of depth, a little bit of um, bad decision-making, a little bit of poor shot selection, a little bit of, just a little bit of like, you know, the ship was starting to, the ship was rocking and the, and the foundation was creaking a little bit with the game. The adjustments were made. You saw a lot of adjustments. There were a ton of adjustments early. Shoot, right off the tip, Draymond Green dives right at Al Horford to get a jump ball. That is 
first of all, incredible, incredible intensity. But that's an adjustment. They're not trying to let Al Horford get comfortable because that was part of the reason why when Al Horford started hitting shots in the fourth in game one, why they lost the game. Al Horford got comfortable. Al Horford basically NBA jammed him, which was he got hot. He hit a couple shots. And before you know it, the ball coming out of his hand was on fire and he wasn't missing anything. That was parts of the reason why they lost in game one because Al Horford got freaking hot. Al Horford looked like an NBA Hall of Famer for about three minutes. That's how you lose ball games in the NBA Finals. Quick and quick, quick. And out the shoot, Draymond said, uh-uh, you ain't going to be comfortable tonight. That's, that's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And so going back to Boston, Game 3, the atmosphere is, this will be the first NBA Finals game in Boston since 2010. It has been a very long time. It is going to be so loud, so intense. The NBA hasn't seen. Let's be one honey with it. Let's be absolutely 100 with this. Sure, the NBA Finals got to Toronto in 2019. But let's be 1,000 here. It's Canada. Canada, at the end of the day, is very nice considerably compared to some sections of the United States. The bubble was in 2020. That don't count. Milwaukee, very, very, very nice crowd. Incredible fans, we all know. But overall, a very nice crowd. Then obviously, Milwaukee played the Suns. Arizona, they get sunshine all year long, 11 months out of the year. Very, very nice fans. Golden State... They've been more and more and more rambunctious because they've been winning, 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 winning. But for the longest time, they were very, very subdued, nice, intricate fans. And they've gotten they've gotten more intense. They've gotten more, you know, rambunctious. They're kind of like Boston Red Sox fans. They think they have it all and they know it all now because they've won championships in the last 10 years. So they think they're a big deal. But before that, they didn't do jack for about 40. So it's like you get where I'm coming from, right? So. But for the longest time, they were a nice crowd. And to be honest with you, to this day, they are still a very, very nice crowd. I would consider them middle of the road. They're not, they're not overly nice. They're not super mean. They're not any of this. And then, of all the years they played uh, Golden State won and went to the NBA Finals, they played Cleveland. And Cleveland is, you know, like, Cleveland is a, a ruckus crowd, but it's not the toughest place to play. I mean, yeah, when they had LeBron, they were tough to play there, but I mean, it wasn't the, it just wasn't brutal to play there. It wasn't super hard. Like, it wasn't the hardest place. To, you know, you get where, where, where. And then Miami, right? So we're going way back in time now. Miami, when they went to the NBA Finals from 11 to 14, not like the hardest place to play. Like, if you really break it down, even when Chris Bosch passed it out to Ray Allen in game six of the finals, and they had that incredible shot, only like 70% of the crowd was there because people left because they thought the game was over. So if you, if you want to get down to the nits and the grits of an NBA Finals, the last NBA Finals that we had, because the Mavericks in 11, the Thunder in 2012, which is nothing. The, the Thunder crowd ain't nothing. I mean, yeah, they're all rambunctious, but they ain't. They ain't Boston. 
they ain't the Lakers in the playoffs or in the finals. They're that's just the NBA is going through an incredible structural time with appearance, business, etc. All these things, right? And the way the game is being called and all this other stuff. The NBA has not seen an NBA Finals in Boston in 12 years. And the last time you had two absolutely brutal, incredible, what I mean by brutal is incredibly intensive, passionate, through the roof, obnoxious, rude, over the top, incredibly passionate fan base. And what I mean by all of those things is the positive by the fact that they are an absolutely, truly desperate, crucial, top-tier, brutal place to play in the NBA. And I say that with every single ounce of compliment. Garden on Wednesday is going to be bumping. And if you think the Warriors have seen this kind of crowd in their entire time in the NBA Finals over the last decade, you're out of your mind. They're going to walk into Boston. They're going to think they own the place. And those fans aren't going to shut up from the moment they run out of the tunnel for warm-ups till the time the game is over, till the time they actually get back into the locker room. Those fans are ruthless. Those fans will let you know from all angles. They're going to make sure your mama knows. They're going to make sure your grandmama knows. And they're going to make sure that people who are ever, whatever other family members you got six feet under are going to know. That's how over-the-top, ruthless Boston Celtic fans are regarding NBA Finals appearances. It is going to be an absolutely true test of home court advantage. And you're going to see the true nature of a champion pop out of the Golden State Warriors when they go play Boston over these next X amount of games. And you're probably going to see the real heart of a champion pop out. This is why I have said guys like Steph Curry, Draymond, and I love Klay Thompson. I love Klay Thompson. But those kind of guys with these, you know, shimmies and, and this fun stuff and, and these things that they do to, to show that they're a big deal and that they're great and all this and whoop-de-woo and et cetera and all this been a big bag of, you know, whatever. Go to Boston during the NBA Finals. There is a reason why, historically, I have constantly made the effort to tell people when they come to me and they talk about Magic Johnson in the 80s and they tell me that Steph Curry is better than Magic Johnson all time and I sit there and I look them in the eye and I tell them, do you think Steph Curry could walk into the garden in the 80s with the crowd the way that it is? With the way the NBA was played in the 80s? With the way the league was structured in that time frame? Do you think Steph Curry could walk in there, do multiple step-back threes with God knows what is being thrown his way? Screams, yells, intensity, 
defense, everything that the Celtics are right now, but from an 80s level perspective, you really think Steph Curry could have the mindset to dominate there and do that? I've seen Steph Curry get out of his own head in games against teams that have no home court capability and just shut down. How do you think Steph Curry is going to do over these next amount of games, this next week in Boston, when he has to play in that arena with all those banners, with all those people telling him about everything and all things and everything under the sun, and reminding him at an X times level, at a squared root level of anything he's ever seen from an intensity perspective? This is where the heart of a champion shows up in the truest form and test. When Kobe Bryant played the Boston Celtics in 2008, he absolutely folded. He played like crap at the end of that series. He folded. People thought Kobe was a washed up, Shaq carried him, has been after he lost to the Celtics in 08. Because when he went to Boston, he folded. He played his heart out, he did what he could, but he folded. And people forget the narrative of that time period. And people forget the time frame of what was going on at that point. Remember, two years prior, the Heat had won a championship with Dwayne Wade and Shaquille O'Neal. And Kobe Bryant had got back to the NBA Finals and had made this incredible run to get back to this point in his career, and he looked like a joke against Boston. And everybody who had been talking crap about Kobe the last five to six years, saying he's never going to be anything special, he's never going to be great without another sidekick, he's never going to, he's never going to, he's never going to, he can't beat it, he can't do it in Boston, he can't do it against the all-time rival, he can't do it against the, 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 you know, the, the two synergy, dynastic organizations in the NBA of the Celtics and Lakers. He can't even beat them. How is he ever going to win another title again? How can he ever do it again? They just destroyed him on national television for an entire three, four, you know, two to three week period. He came back in 09, beat the Magic, but in 2010, that was when people sat there and said, if he can beat the Boston Celtics, this is where I gain respect, and I don't ever lose that. When he beat the Celtics in seven, granted, he was not the main reason they won the championship in game seven. That was a complete team effort. That was one of the greatest games in NBA history, game seven of the 2010 NBA Finals. Absolutely breathtaking, incredible form of form of just professional light uh, intensity, historical ramifications, just so beautiful. Absolutely incredible. And the heart of a champion came out. When the going got tough, that game got absolutely brutal in the fourth quarter, and everybody who had to played their ass off. And that was when you saw Kobe Bryant, who had nothing he had nothing. He looked like trash in the fourth quarter, but he found a way to get his team to a championship with everybody else stepping up with him. That was where I gained all of the respect for Kobe Bryant. All of it. All of it. 
all of the he had won four championships before that. All of the you know court stuff that he went through, all of the garbage that he had gone through over the years, beating the Magic just didn't seem like it mattered in 09. I was like, okay, he got through to the NBA Finals and he beat the Magic. Okay, great. He should have played LeBron, right? Because obviously the Magic beat the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals and he thought, oh wow, they're gonna, the Lakers have basically been handed a free championship. But, go to 2010 and the Boston Celtics looked like they were going to win another chip. Especially with the way the Lakers, I mean, the Lakers were a great team that year. They won the championship. But Boston was just as good. That's why they went seventh. And when you beat a Boston team like the way the Lakers did in an intensely grappling, gripping NBA championship form, you gain the respect. This next week, for the Golden State Warriors, with the series tied 1-1, and, 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 in, and in all formalities, for the historical ramifications moving forward for whatever nth of time and entity and, and, and degree of whatever time frame you want to place the league and where it will go from here another 75 years from now, this next week, I think, will define the entire Warriors legacy. I'm talking about the big three. I'm talking about Clay. I'm talking about Draymond. And obviously Steph Curry. If they can go into Boston. And they can win their games. It does not matter how they do it. It doesn't matter if it's close. It doesn't matter if they blow them out. I do not care. A win is a win at this point. If they can go in there with the team who now holds court. In regards to. Now it's a best of five, tied 1-1, and Boston has the edge because they stole home court advantage. And this Warrior team, with a newer squad, with the laden veterans, who had won two championships, their last two championships, I should say, in 18 and 17, with the help of a Megalodon all-time Hall of Fame basketball scorer and potentially the greatest scoring threat the league has ever seen in a guy in Kevin Durant when they won in 2017 and 2018. Obviously, 2019 was hampered by injuries. But if they can go into Boston, take care of business without Kevin Durant, a young squad, frankly, a head case in Draymond Green, phenomenal player, Hall of Famer in my book. Still recovering, coming from you know two and a half years of injury. Clay Thompson, one of my favorite players of all time, and Steph Curry, who has never won a Finals MVP, has very questionable MVPs from the standpoint of how much he's evolved now, because he's a better player now than he was the years he won the MVPs. And I can debate you to the cows come home. Oh, he had a 402 threes and 73 wins. And no, 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 no. I don't care about all that. The way he plays basketball now is a thousand times better than the way he played basketball his MVP years. I can guarantee you if the Steph Curry now played on that 2016 team, the year they won 73 games, and they played LeBron James in the year they came back down 3-1, they would win the chip. I can guarantee that because he's improved and he's gotten better as a basketball player. But if they can go into Boston, they 
can take care of their business and make this happen, this is where the legacy is cement. And they can sit there and say that they are the greatest, one of, not the greatest, but one of the greatest trios in basketball history because they had to go into, really, the toughest home court, the toughest playoff finals scenarios ever. That court is the toughest place to play in the history of the NBA. In regards to finals in Boston, it is hard to play there. It does not matter what team is out there. It does not matter which Boston Celtics iteration is is existing there. That crowd is on you, and they are on you from the moment you step on there for warm-ups to the moment you leave, no matter what the outcome of the game is. And that is just how it's been historically. And if the Warriors can walk in there with their Silicon Valley mindset and their prissy little attitudes they've had these last seven to eight years with the orientations that they've put put forward, and they can take care of business, I'm just laying it flat on you. I don't even care. There's no there's no filter here. You can walk in there and take care of business in that mentality. You got my respect. And you win a chip doing it. You got my respect. That's why I said walking into this NBA Finals, if the Golden State Warriors can win this NBA Finals, and I don't care how they do it, all of them have my respect. I love Clay. Draymond's eh. Draymond's kind of an eh. He gets my respect sometimes, and some days I'm like, man, what are you doing? And Steph Curry, I've always been a critic of him. But if they win this chip, this, this is the defining factor of what the Golden State Warriors are over the last eight years. It is this year. If they can't win it this year, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry from so many angles. Your legacy will be viewed as though it got helped by Kevin Durant. It will be viewed as 2015, as if Kyrie didn't get hurt after game one and Kevin Love didn't get hurt, ironically, by the Boston Celtics in game one of the 2015 NBA playoffs. The first round of the NBA playoffs in 2015, Kevin Love got his arm socket ripped out of his arm. I mean, if you all forget, he got a dislocated arm and he couldn't play the rest of the playoffs. And Kyrie Irving got hurt after game one, the overtime game in the finals. So it was basically LeBron with Matthew Dellavedova guarding Stephen Curry. If that didn't happen, we might be talking about the Golden State Warriors never winning a championship. They got the help from Kevin Durant. They got the help of two superstars being injured in 2015. And they choked in 2016. Don't sit here and tell me that your legacy won't be blanketed by those excuses. If you can't get it done against Boston. Because guess what? When you beat a team like Boston in the NBA Finals, there's a lot of your legacy that changes. I just mentioned Kobe Bryant. What was his legacy before he beat the Boston Celtics in 2010? Answer that for me, please. Go back to 2009 after they beat the Magic in, in what, five games? Four games, five games, whatever they did it in 2009. What was Kobe Bryant's legacy. He's a four-time NBA champion. He's back on the mountaintop, but he didn't play LeBron in the finals yet. He should have played LeBron. And his three championships he won was on the back of Shaq. Yeah, he was a great player. He was really, really good, but he was never the guy. And he played the Magic, so who cares? Like, anybody who plays the Magic in the NBA finals, like, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, who cares? Four championships. Okay, whatever. 
the teams that he beat with the organization that he had and the guys he had surrounded by him, who really cares? It was 2010 that everybody said that is an all-time legend. That was when it happened. It's the same thing with LeBron. When LeBron beat the Spurs in 2013, that was when everybody said, okay, okay, we know. We know now. Because that was one of the best NBA Finals of all time. And with the way he had to impact his legacy on that entire Finals was how things changed. Those are the moments that give you the the head and the nod and the salute of, nope, there's there's nothing more I can say to criticize what they've done. This week coming up, starting tomorrow, Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the beginning of the legacy written. This is where the cobblestone gets etched. The cobblestone will start getting written Wednesday. They are getting the cobblestone in the laser printer right now for the legacy of these three men. And I can guarantee you, if they fall flat on their face and get curb stomped in Boston, and we come back next Tuesday, and I'm recapping the finals as Boston wins it in five, you can guarantee that these three men will be looked at with the excuses behind everything they've done regarding winning in 2015, and then getting help from Katie in 17 and 18, and then getting their getting curb stomped in the finals in 2022, you can guarantee that looking at their legacies, you will sit there and say, my God, they really weren't that great. Like, yeah, they won three championships. Woohoo. They had four Hall of Famers on the same team, and the year they won it, Kyrie and Kevin Love were out, and at some point, and even at one point, they were down 2-1 to LeBron and a bunch of nobodies. When you go to Boston and you win a championship, everything changes. That's how this goes. Good luck, Golden State. I hope you get it done. Because guess what? If you do, I ain't got you'll get all my respect. But if you don't, hey man, I'm just gonna be the one that tried to tell you eight years ago when I started the Hoopers log that all of this is a sham. This series will prove whether they're a sham or whether they're for real. And again, I'm not trying to sit here and say they're trash. They're three-time NBA champions. Draymond's going to the Hall of Fame. Steph's going to the Hall of Fame. Clay's going to the Hall of Fame. I'm not sitting here and telling you that these guys are garbage. What I'm trying to tell you is from the long-term cultural historical ramification of what these guys are, from the knit and grit of what you talk about in the long-term of what they did to win a championship, when it comes to breaking down the nitty-gritty and the onesie-twosies of the, of the auras of what they've done and how they've done it, I am not ripping into the fact that they are trash and that they don't mean anything to the history of the league because they're clearly etched in history with the league. What I'm talking about is when you start bringing up that trio as an all-time, you know, bout-it-bout-it, bout it, you know, trio. When they're about it, about it. Are they about it? About, are they? Are they a trio that could do it in any place at any time? You look at the San Antonio Spurs. I, I, I keep bringing them up. I'm on the Spurs lead. I get it. This is what I do. They won a championship in '99. They beat the Knicks. Okay, the, the Knicks were an eight seed. It was a shortened year. I get it. I understand your perspective. They won it in 2003. They beat the Nets. 
But they also went through the Lakers, who were three-time NBA champions. That's brutal. That's, that's, that's incredible. Then in 2005, they went through the Suns, who, let's all be honest, at that point looked like a potential NBA champion by the way they were playing. And then they beat the Pistons, who were the defending champions the year before. And they beat them in seven. That was when you said, oh, that's next level. And then in 07, they beat the Suns again, which, let's be honest, they shouldn't have. They weren't better than the Suns that year. I will, I, I will always say that to this day. I always thought the Suns were a better team than us that year. Then, they get to the NBA Finals. They destroy the Cavs, who weren't ready. And then in 2013, they lost to the, they lost to the, the, the Heat. And you thought, wow, that, that maybe they weren't as good of a trio as we thought. But they came back. They beat the defending champs again. In fact, they beat a team who probably should have gone to the NBA Finals and won it all in the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were remarkable in the Western Conference Finals up until the last couple of games. Then we beat the Heat. Obviously, you know, the whole LeBron cramping thing and the, the AC went out in Game 1. We get that. We all know. But overall, the entire circumstance was four championships with that, with that trio. And they beat back-to-back, they beat defending champions two times. That is a big, big, big legacy pointer to them. The Golden State Warriors, yes, they came out in 2017 and beat a defending champ. But guess what? Guess what? They also had a Megalodon superstar join them team. It ain't the same. Ain't the same. It ain't like they ran it back in 2016-2017 with the same squad and said, Let's do it again. No, they, they completely changed the game by bringing in a guy like Kevin Durant and changing the entire outlook and the entire aura and the entire entity of what anything was supposed to be. They never ran it back with the same unit. Ever. They're a trio that you look at and you can bring up all of these, all of these things. But this, this series right here, where they are the guys. Draymond, Clay, and Steph. They were already the guys in 2015. But these are the guys who are now leading this entire organization. And if they win it now, in this aura, in this, in this entire atmosphere that they're currently in, that is where you sit there and you have to, you have to give them the respect. But they got to earn it. And this week is a gigantic week. Thank you again for listening, everybody. I will be back next week for episode 39 for season 8. We will recap game 3, game 4, and game 5 of the NBA Finals. I know game 5 will be on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. And I will be up late. And I will have watched what had gone down. I would assume anything can happen. Right? Because all three of those games will be played. Anything can happen. We could be talking about a championship recap, whether it's for the Warriors or for the or for the Celtics. We could be talking about the series being 3-2 for somebody. And we could be talking about, you know, an unbelievable game five for whoever whoever 
decided to take the lead. I mean, it could have been a 3-1 series and then we go into a game five and it's kind of a formality or we could have gone into, or, you know, we go into a game six and it could have been a formality. You get my point. There's, there's a lot that can happen moving forward now. And I can only guarantee you what's going to happen is somebody is going to be leading in the series or have won the series by the time we come back for the next episode. It's our second to last episode for the Hooper's Log. It is bittersweet. Next week will be the second to last episode. And then obviously the week after, after Father's Day, if the series goes seven, if it's not over by next week, we'll have our last episode of the Hooper's Log. So after tonight, there's two more episodes and we'll close up shop and we'll be over. So I appreciate everyone here who's been listening and who's been loyal and who's been dedicated. But we will be back next week, a week from today, on the 14th of June. And I can't wait to break down what's gone on in the NBA Finals since. Have a good one. See you.